Welcome to another episode of Clock Conversations from Thrombosis Canada. I'm David Airdrie, Executive Director, and today we're doing things a little differently since we'll be interviewing my usual co-host, Dr. Jamil Abdurrahman. For this podcast episode, I'm joined by Dr. Allison Bond as my co-host. Dr. Bond is a clinical thromboembolism pharmacist working full-time in the thromboembolism program at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, where she is an integral member of a multidisciplinary team seeing both inpatient consultations for VTE treatment and prophylaxis and managing warfarin dosing in Sunnybrook's outpatient anticoagulant clinic. She is also the primary preceptor for the thromboembolism year two pharmacy residency offered at Sunnybrook. She has a doctor of pharmacy and master of science from the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the University of Toronto, as well as the Center for Quality Improvement and Patient Safety Certificate course. Her research interests include risk management models for thromboprophylaxis in medical patients, utilization of order sets for thromboprophylaxis, and the appropriate use of DOACs in special populations. She's also a member of Thrombosis Canada. Welcome, Allison. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. And we're here to provide you with updates on diagnosis and management of thrombosis, featuring interviews with authors of recent research publications and highlights of education programs from Thrombosis Canada. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Thanks, David. Um, so in this episode, we will be discussing a recent paper published in the British Journal of Hematology entitled Recurrence After Stopping Anticoagulants in Women with Combined Oral Contraceptive Associated Venous Thromboembolism a systematic review and meta-analysis with co-authors Dr. Jamil Abdul-Rahman and Leslie Skeeth. Dr. Jamil Abdul-Rahman is a hematologist and clinician investigator with specialization in thrombosis and hemostasis at the Toronto General Hospital within the University Health Network and assistant professor at the University of Toronto. He completed medical school at the University of Alberta, internal medicine residency at Western University, hematology residency at the University of Alberta, a fellowship in thrombosis and hemostasis at the University of Toronto, and a master's in clinical epidemiology at McMaster University. He is an early career investigator with research interests in clinical studies and the use of anticoagulation in, po in special populations. He is also the regular co-host of this podcast. Dr. Leslie Skeeth is an associate professor in the Division of Hematology and Hematological Malignancies at the University of Calgary. She completed her medical school and hematology residency training at the University of Calgary and completed a two-year fellowship in thrombosis medicine at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Skeeth's research interest is in the area of pregnancy and venous thromboembolism. Dr. Jamil Abdulrahman and Dr. Leslie Skeeth, thank you for participating in our podcast today. Thank you. We're happy to be here. And we actually completed training together, our internal medicine training together. So this is pretty fun. That's great. And it's nice to be uh, on the other side of the table with uh, Jamil, um, since he's usually usually doing some of the interviewing. I'm going to start today by asking what the motivation was to undertake this review. So there's some controversy in the literature, whether a combined oral contraceptive associated VTE uh, is provoked or unprovoked. There's some groups, some researchers and physicians that would consider this an unprovoked event and others a clearly provoking event. 
And to cut through the controversy, we really wanted to understand the true risk of VTE recurrence after somebody has had a COC or, or birth control associated thrombosis. And interestingly, myself and researcher Gregoire Legal from Ottawa, were we were conducting a systematic review in this area and heard that Jamil, alongside the late Clive Curon, was also conducting the same or similar review. So we joined forces and I think made it that much stronger and we're excited to be here today. Great. And can you tell us about the review process and criteria used to select the studies included? Sure. So in terms of the participants, we wanted to include uh, women with objectively confirmed initial index COC-associated VTE, uh, sorry, COC being combined oral contraceptive. So they have to receive at least three months of anticoagulation, stop the COC prior to or at time of discontinuation of anticoagulation, time of follow-up began after anticoagulation was discontinued, and recurrent VT data were available. We included all types of VTE, so pulmonary embolism, DBT, cerebral vein thrombosis, splenic vein thrombosis. In terms of studies, we included prospective cohort studies, randomized controlled trials, and meta-analyses of these study types. So with the help of a research librarian, we did a literature search. Um, we found a lot of studies that included women with COC-associated VTE but sometimes the recurrence rate in the group wasn't specifically reported, or it was grouped together with hormonal VTE, or the specific data we were looking for. So for example, follow-up time was not reported. So we contacted the authors of these studies, and we were quite fortunate that many of them replied and were interested in collaborating uh, with us in sharing the data. So about 16 of the 19 studies, we had additional data contributed by the authors, which was not available in their original publications. So based on your analysis, the recurrence rate in women with COC-associated VTE was 1.22 per 100 person years versus those with unprovoked VTE with a recurrence rate of 3.89. Would you discuss the clinical relevance of those results? Thank you. Yeah. So when making the decision about extended anticoagulation beyond the initial three-month treatment period, we have to think about what is the risk of recurrent VTE if we stop anticoagulation versus what is the risk of major bleeding if we continue anticoagulation. So it's helpful knowing that risk of recurrence so we can have that shared decision-making with the patient to discuss do we stop or do we keep going. So this low number, the 1.22 after COC-associated VTE is reassuring. Um, with this low number, most of these women can stop anticoagulation after the treatment period. Uh, we're looking at the risk of recurrence in unprovoked women the women included in our study may not be representative of the total population. Uh, because the women in these studies were comparators to women with COCVT, often they were younger, so for example, under 50 or under whatever. Uh, some of the studies included women deemed to be at low risk for recurrence, maybe because of clinical prediction rules or D-dimer. Um, so the number we found for the unprovoked women is likely lower than the real number. The true number is probably closer um, Faison Khan uh, and co. did a systematic review looking at unfroke women, and they found a number of 8.9% in the first year. So I think their number is probably more closer to real life um, than the number we found. And did any of the results surprise you? Uh, I can take that one. I, I don't think that they really, you know, it was surprising, but reassuring that the event rates are low in this uh, often younger population 
that risk factor is now gone. And there has been a second systematic review published by the Netherlands group in JTH, and they found very similar numbers. So I think also reassuring from our data that at least in the big picture, we have you know more concrete data that we can bring to clinic and talk with our, our patients about. Awesome. What were the limitations of the study that you feel are particularly important? Right. So whenever I look at the results of any study, we always can see what are the limitations and in our interpretation of it. So I'd say a big limitation in one of our studies was just the substantial clinical heterogeneity in the study populations. Um, because of the different studies had different women of different age groups, uh, some limited to under age 50, some were whatever age. Uh, as I said, some studies use clinical decision rules or D-dimer to only include women at risk for recurrence. We included different types of VTE. Uh, some studies had uh, COC, VTE alone, whereas other studies grouped hormonal VTE together. So there was clinical heterogeneity in the different studies. Um, looking at the risk of bias in the studies, overall, they were at low risk, but the majority of studies lost points because they did not describe ascertainment of the COC exposure which is not surprising because in many of these studies, the primary focus was not on the COC women, uh, although the COC women were included in the study. Another limitation is based on our calculation. So when we calculated this number, the 1.22, we looked at the total number of events, so recurrent VTE over the total follow-up time. So this assumes that the risk of recurrence is static over time, where it probably is more likely that the risk of recurrence is highest upfront uh, and the longer you go without recurrent, you're probably less likely to have a recurrent event. Unfortunately, just the way the data was available, that's the only way we could do it, uh, but it is a limitation that we have to keep in mind. Uh, and lastly, one of the big limitations um, is we weren't able to do a age-adjusted analysis. Um, it's unclear if the risk of recurrence is low in these women because they're otherwise healthy young women, or is it low because of the COC? Um, so we were hoping to do that, but unfortunately we didn't have any data, so we could not do an age-adjusted uh, pooled analysis. We noted that you included unusual site thrombosis. Can you give us more information about this? Yeah. So because of the no association between estrogen and cerebral vein thrombosis, we did want to include the atypical locations of VT as well. So in the end, of the 19 studies, two of the studies included cerebral vein thrombosis as their index VTE. So that was about 47 women with COC-associated VTE. Uh, those studies included all VTE types as their recurrences. In those specific studies, the absolute recurrence rates were similar, 2.53 and 1.3, uh, but both of them had fairly wide uh, confidence intervals. Uh, none of the studies had splanchnic or other atypical site thrombosis as their index VTE. Was subgroup analysis by COC type and dose considered? Would you expect this to show a difference? We did consider it. We did have a look. And because this is pooling data from different studies, we just didn't have the level of, of detail to be able to compare the, the types of uh, COC and um, dosing. But what we do know from first-time thrombosis studies, big cohorts or databases of people who are health, healthy patients who are on COC, the higher the estrogen dose and the non-levonogesterol progesterones do carry a slightly higher risk of thrombosis. So I wonder if it'd be the same in, in this case, but unfortunately, we didn't have the, the ability to have a look. 
And what kind of contraception would you recommend for a woman who has a history of COC-provoked VTE and wants to, to stop anticoagulation? That's an excellent question uh, and an, an important one when counseling around future future hormone use. It is okay to continue on hormones or COC while anticoagulated, but once stopping anticoagulation, looking for an alternative is important. Uh, Progesterone only IUD, we have good evidence that this is safe, uh, even off of anticoagulation, as well as the progesterone only pill, although there may be less uh, reliable contraception. So to review all of the risks and risks and benefits with your uh, physician. Great. And can you comment on the role of VTE prophylaxis in women with a history of COC-provoked VTE and who are now pregnant? Um, What about VTE prophylaxis uh, when using other hormonal therapies, such as women undergoing fertility treatments or on tamoxifen for breast cancer? I can uh, take that one as well. In somebody who has had a prior COC-associated VTE now pregnant or planning a pregnancy, I would recommend low molecular rate heparin prophylaxis during pregnancy and for the six weeks in the postpartum period. Even if the, you know, the COC may be more in the background or has been on for a longer time, I do err on the side of, of offering and, and discussing thromboprophylaxis during pregnancy and postpartum. Uh, And for your second question, what about other, you know, fertility treatments and and other hormone associated uh, conditions? I would consider, you know, going, going on prophylaxis for fertility treatments, any sort of hormones that are involved to, to start the low molecular weight heparin during this time. And for other, say, cancer treatments, hormone-associated cancer treatments, less data, but having the discussion about adding back a low-dose DOAC or other other prophylaxis, uh, for example, with tamoxifen. But lots to learn about still in that scenario. Yeah. Thanks. So um, is there anything that you'd like to add that we haven't asked you about yet? Sure. So just one thing to comment on. So we found the risk to be low after COC-associated VT at the 1.22 per 100 patient years. But there may be some women that have a higher risk than this uh, that you'd want to consider. Maybe I should continue extended anticoagulation. So it's important to look at the whole picture and think about other risk factors as well. Um, so you know, we also want to think about maybe strong family history of VTE, uh, or maybe there's a higher BMI that might increase the risk of recurrence. Uh, Maybe as Leslie was alluding to earlier, patients who've been on COC for a long time, you know, their risk of recurrence might be higher. Uh, we know the highest risk for VTA when using COC is upfront. So if you've been on COC for years and then you have a VTA, maybe your risk of recurrence is higher. Um, there may be other ways to uh, stratify these patients. Uh, Leslie, can maybe talk a bit more about that. Yeah, I just wanted to point out there's a related paper by um, the first author, David Aziz, from JTH in, in 2020, looking at the HERDU2 score, looking at the original derivation cohort of the, the reverse study and by COC uh, use. And those, those with COC-related VTE and a high HERDU2 score did have a higher risk of of future thrombosis compared to somebody who did not have any other risk factors with a low 
her new tooth for. So we still have lots to learn about how these different risk factors contribute and efforts are ongoing to look at an individual patient data meta-analysis in this area uh, to really get to the bottom of some of these additional risk factors for COC-associated BTE. Thank you both. I appreciate your, your participation. It's been great. Thank you, Allison, for stepping in today and, and uh, helping us Good out uh, with this, this was interview. Cool. Appreciate your, your time and participation in our podcast episode today. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to Clot Conversations from Thrombosis Canada. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions on the podcast. And if you have any recommendations for future podcasts, please send them to us at info at thrombosiscanada.ca. And please subscribe so that you're notified about the release of new episodes. And don't forget to check out our website for education programs, clinical tools, and guides, including information on our upcoming annual meeting. Also, please consider donating to Thrombosis Canada to support our ongoing efforts to reduce morbidity and mortality due to thrombosis. Thanks, everyone. 